This is the Tech EU podcast, where we discuss some of the most interesting stories from the European tech scene. Subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasting fix these days. In today's episode, TechEU founder Robin Vauter sits down with Amazon's head of Alexa Trust, Ann Toth. Hey, hey, this is Robin Walter from Tech.U, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, as per usual, by Ann Toth. She's a longtime tech executive uh, working for one of the some of the most defining uh, internet companies of our times, uh, Yahoo, Google, Slack, uh, worked for the World Economic Forum, and in August 2020, joined uh, Amazon as the director of Alexa Trust. So I'm, I'm really, really anxious to start the conversation and learn more about that. Um, Ann, did I get anything wrong? No, I think I think you got my entire LinkedIn profile <laughs> in that one in that one intro. So thank you. Very very proud of myself now. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much, uh, Anne, for joining. It's a real pleasure. Um, I do not know much about Alexa Trust uh, in particular. I think a lot of the listeners will know Amazon and Alexa, of course. Uh, but what Alexa Trust is and how it sits sort of in the, the overall organization uh, is still a bit of a mystery to me. So if you can uh, start by shedding some light on that, that would be absolutely great. I would love to do so. Uh, so the Alexa Trust organization is part of the Alexa product org. Um, so we sit side by side with the people who make uh, the Alexa service. And uh, when when Alexa was first launched, I think about eight years ago in, into the world, uh, there was a very clear understanding that privacy and trust had to be part and parcel with our product because we're putting a smart speaker in people's homes. We're asking them to trust us by putting this device in their homes. And so we always knew that we were going to have to make sure that all of our features, both on the hardware and the software side, uh, engendered customer trust. And so the the notion of Alexa Trust was, was I think, just sort of uh, part of the the proposition of building a product like this. So we are an organization that works primarily on privacy, but also on content uh, and also on accessibility. Uh, we make sure that the product works well for everybody, which has really a wonderful trickle-down effect of, of making the product not just good for people who have a disability, like who are blind or who are deaf, but also for people who are aging and getting older. And so this product, particularly with all of the smart home uh, you know, integrations, really does allow people to live more independently. And so there are a multitude of dimensions of trust, uh, but I think I think we're seeing a trend of other organizations also recognizing that this is a really in integral part of their brand and their product uh, value. Yeah, absolutely. Am I, am I correct to assume that Alexa Trust as an organization was co-launched with Alexa as a technology back in 2014? Um, but I'm assuming that there was already, you know, a trust team or a privacy focused team in place then. So how is it different from then? Is it integrated or how does yeah, no, I think actually there were people working on this issue long before the actual organization became uh, became a named organization within within the organization itself. So that came a little bit later, but but by and large, the thinking about these issues has been part of the uh, not just the evolution of the product, but really part of the the conceptual founding of the product. Great. Um, we mentioned uh, the word trust a couple of times. Uh, trust is one of those words that means different things in different contexts to different people, uh, depending on the place and the time that mm -hmm. you ask them. Um, so what, what does the word trust mean within, within Amazon and within the team of Alex Trust? Well, so trust for us is about customers feeling good about using the product and continuing to use the product. I think those are some of the metrics that we use to measure how people respond to the features that we have, not just their usage, but their continued usage of the product. Um, and also, I think, and I hope, 
uh, many of the of the newer features that we're launching. So if you if you think about um, some of the uh, some of the newer things that we're launching, which are more conversational dimensions, so that right now, in order to use Alexa, you have to use the wake word, which is typically Alexa, but can also be computer or Amazon. This is just one example. In order for the device to then wake up and respond to your your question. Um, but more and more, we're we're launching features that are more conversational in nature, things that are just that reduce the friction of using the product. In order to do that, you really do have to trust the service. If you're going to use the product in order to turn on all of your lights, uh, secure your home, these are things that require require you to feel comfortable using the device and use it regularly. So I think the the best metric of trust is continued usage and happy customers, and the fact that people are willing to put the device in their home in the first place. I think demonstrates to me that trust isn't something, it's something that people are willingly giving us, right? Because they trust our brand. And so it's ours to lose if we do something wrong. So it's, you know, it's one of those things where like in any relationship with a person, trust is built over literally thousands of small interactions. I asked for a thing, I got what I expected, I build trust. Um, but it can be easily broken with one unexpected uh, interaction that that wasn't pleasing. And so we're very conscious of that in thinking about how we build each and every product feature. Yeah, um, I already alluded to this, but of course, this whole process of building trust with people um, different things in different places, right? So there's cultural uh, differences, of course, uh, from region to region. Um, I don't want to talk specifically about Europe, but because it's the tech that you podcast, are there anything, uh, is there anything specific to the way that um, Europeans in general uh, regard things like data policy, data privacy, uh, and trust uh, in general uh, that's very different from, from what you're used to in the U.S.? Well, I think, I mean, you touched on it. the U.S. And, and Europe have have historically had different approaches to privacy, both in terms of how it's regulated and in terms of just cultural and societal norms. Uh, but it's also true that there are differences in in sort of in trust and how people think of privacy in particular that are generational. Uh, if you look at younger uh, customers who have been or who are Internet natives who have never lived without an Internet, they, they have a very different way of looking at technology and looking at privacy as then do say baby boomers or people of older generations. Um, when it comes to, I think actually Europe has been quite a leader obviously in thinking about this issue and thinking about privacy as a fundamental human right. Um, one of the things I think that is just a notable difference and something that I think we've seen trending all globally now is that you know when I started doing this work 20 something years ago, privacy and security were things that people didn't wanna talk about so much. It was a little bit like, you don't want to think about airplanes falling out of the sky when you're in an airplane, right? Or thinking about cars crashing when you're in a car. So this idea of privacy and security and, and data usage and all of that was seen, I think, originally as something we were afraid that customers would be worried about if we talked about it too much. And what I think we're seeing now is that customers worry more when you don't talk about it. They want to know why aren't you talking about it? Uh, and so that that change, I think, is very, uh, I think, is, a, is something that was very sort of euro led in terms of wanting to have this conversation about what do you do with my data? How do you secure it? What's, how, how can I access it? Where can I see it? So a lot of those features around transparency and control, I think were really driven by EU sensibilities about privacy. Yep, great answer. Um, you mentioned you, you're putting devices in people's homes, which is always mm -hmm. sort of an extra step because you worked for internet companies mostly in the past. It's the first time this sort of combination between hardware and software. Uh, how's it different for you personally mm -hmm. to look at sort of a, a tangible device combined with the software? Uh, does it make a lot of difference in the terms of work that you do? 
Well, certainly, because I mean, when we talk about privacy by design from a software perspective, software is iterative and, and you can, you can, we always bake privacy in from the beginning, but you can add it in later is the other, is the part of software that's, that's beautiful because it's very, it's relatively easy to do something like that. It's much harder to do that with hardware. So when you're developing hardware, the process of building a device and thinking about the privacy implications of having a camera in the device. Uh, so for example, we put physical shutters over the camera so that not only is there is there that sort of layer of software control that you have, but you also have a physical way to ensure that your camera can't be activated. We have engineered the mute button on the device so that normally you'll see a, a like a, a blue ring light uh, on most Echo devices that shows when Alexa is active. Um, when you press the mute button, that light will turn red. And if you actually took the, uh, the hardware apart, you would see that it is actually impossible for the red light to be on and for the mic to have power. So those things are actually developed to make sure that you have uh, assurances of privacy that aren't just us saying it, but they're actually baked into the hardware itself, which is a longer development cycle. And I think is another example of how early we've really thought about these, these controls within the hardware in particular. Yeah. Uh, nothing worth noting, I think, is the fact that Alexa integrates with third-party uh, products and services as well, uh, which I'm guessing adds a whole uh, layer of complexity. Uh, and I'm dying to know how you sort of handle that uh, from, from your organization's perspective. Well, there are a few different places where we integrate. Certainly, a, a great example is with smart home, right? So, uh, so we are we work with. I have in my home in Virginia. I have every room has a Philips Hue light bulb in it that I control with my with my Alexa enabled devices. Um, I have washing machines and a dryer that are also Alexa enabled. And the interesting thing about that is when I bought those devices, I remember thinking. Why do I need it to be Alexa enabled? How is that valuable? Uh, but the first time I got an alert telling me that I had damp laundry sitting there for 30 minutes, I suddenly realized, actually, this is very useful. Um, so, you know, so that so we work with a number of third parties uh, to integrate their devices. And I think that's been that's one of the, the nicest things about the service is how many different devices you can control. But also we have over 130,000 skills that are uh, in the skills store that are effectively like apps for Alexa that we have developers building all the time that allow you to integrate with Domino Pizza or call an Uber. Um, and so we are really careful with those integrations and we have a really stringent process for reviewing uh, skills as they come through. Um, and you know, it's just one more way for us to not just make it easier for customers to use the device and make it useful, but also to help you know, foster an ecosystem of third-party developers as well. Uh, we already mentioned that uh, Alexa as a technology has been launched for you know, about eight years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, it was for the technology invented in Poland, which I didn't actually know until I started researching, uh, which is a, a, bit of a bit of a fun fact uh, for the listeners. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it, <laughs> like, since it was launched, there were a number of um, privacy concerns that came to light. Uh, some of them justified, a lot of them weren't justified. Uh, you weren't with the company then. Uh, you only joined in August 2020. Mm -hmm. um, did you keep track of sort of the launch of Alexa before you joined Amazon uh, and the privacy concerns that came with it? And, and do you feel those, the legitimate concerns have adequately dealt with since then? Well, so yes, I actually uh, I've had an I've had an Echo device since the very the very first generation Echo device. Uh, so I'm an early adopter of technology, and I uh, I think of myself a bit as a gadget geek. I like I like technology. I like using it, and I like testing it and playing around with it and seeing how it works. Um, so I was an early adopter, and I've had 
uh, have had a long experience. So I was a customer long before I became an employee uh, in this division. But um, to your question about privacy concerns, I think, you know, by and large, the largest misconception is that Alexa is, quote, always listening. And it's it's not the case, right? Because we have a very, the whole, the whole way in which the, um, the invocation word is used and how it's, how it's actually developed. I mean, you have to say we're all, we, there's a, the, the hardware is listening for the wake word. And so that is, that is what we are listening for. It's, this is an example to me of a place where it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult for the layperson to understand sometimes how the technology works and more and more technology is getting so sophisticated that it's hard to explain. It's hard to put the onus on the customer to understand how all of it works to control it. So we're working really hard to make sure that we educate customers, that we're explaining to them how these devices work, but also that we're that we're giving them the types of controls that will, again, engender trust. So to that point of Alexa is always listening, we have a lot of transparency tools in the app, in our privacy dashboard that let you see what we have heard, right? And let you uh, access those recordings, delete those recordings. You can also delete all your recordings by simply saying, Alexa, delete my recordings, delete everything I've ever said. So there are, so we have been cognizant of some of those misperceptions around privacy um, and have worked really hard to try to make sure that people feel good about that experience and that they know how it works. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't really, I think by and large, when we, when there is something that doesn't happen or doesn't work as intended, um, what we have done and what I've seen internally is just an amazing sort of rapid response to fix an issue and to acknowledge that sometimes hardware or software don't work the way you expect and then to fix it. So I think that's that's the one thing that every every technology company, I think, is um, is on the hook for is trying to figure out both with bugs for security, as well as understanding that once in a while, if technology doesn't work as you expect it to, you really have an obligation to rapidly address those concerns. That tells me that you work very closely with the product teams uh, and the engineering teams, um, I would assume. Uh, how difficult is that from you know, the, the, just the, the, the sheer scale of the organization uh, to work with those product teams to, to respond rapidly to the legitimate customer concerns, uh, but also to develop features for the, for the future that are sort of in line with your trust and data policy? My role is very much uh, is very much an internal external role. So I work really closely with the people who build the product on the product and engineering teams. But I also work closely with the with with folks who actually work externally with stakeholders who care about these issues. So there are, in addition to policymakers and regulators who are working, I mean, there are over a hundred international privacy laws. There are now within the United States an increasing number of laws at the state level and at the local level. And so in order to ensure that we're not just complying with those laws, but building features that are uh, that are future-proof effectively because things are changing rapidly, we have to work really closely with our external stakeholders as well to understand what their concerns are and how to address them. And that's true when we're dealing with uh, with content issues, with child safety issues, with privacy issues. So I work really closely both with the internal stakeholders, but also the external stakeholders to make sure we understand how to build for all of those constituencies. Big job. I asked you earlier what the word trust means to you. Uh, what does the word accessibility mean to you and how does it sort of live within the Alexa Trust organization? Right. So I think for uh, what that means is that the product should work equally well equally well and in a very highly performant way for all of our customers. Um, and so in order to do that, there are a number of features that 
uh, that have been built. So for example, um, it, what's interesting, having worked with people uh, who have low vision or who are blind, is that they use screen reader software to interact with, uh, with devices in many cases. And so they're actually quite used to hearing things at a very rapid rate, much faster than you would normally hear things. So you can actually adjust the, ra the rate of speech on Alexa so that you can speed it up or you can, you can actually slow it down. Um, and so that makes it easier for customers who either need more time to, to hear and to process or for people who are actually much more adept at listening very quickly. So that's the kind of adjustability that we offer along with certain captioning features. Uh, you know, the, the list goes on and on. One of my favorites is the ability uh, to actually hold up in front of a screen-based device with a camera. You can hold something up and you can ask Alexa what it is. And so those are the types of things that make the device much, much more usable for many more people. And there's also a multilingual mode. So, you know, we support households where there's more than one language being spoken. And I think that's also another example of thinking really inclusively about our customers and what their needs are. Yeah, I didn't actually know that, uh, the last part, not to know. Um, what, is, uh, what, what else can we expect from the, the Alexa and Echo teams uh, in the future in terms of uh, product features that you think are notable? Well, you know, I think there are, I mean, last year we launched, uh, we got a lot of publicity for the Astro launch. Um, you know, I think those are the kinds of things where it's not just, the device isn't just sitting on your desk or in your kitchen. I mean, you know, we're putting devices now in automobiles, there are more Alexa enabled autos these days and more integrations with other types of hardware. Uh, we have a number of integrations also with Ring, which is another brand and product that we we own within Amazon. So there are, I think you're going to see more and more of that. But I, one of the things that we're really excited about is just the nature of ambient computing, right? I mean, the idea of having this device is so that it makes your life easier. And I think when technology works the best is when it just sort of recedes into the background. And, you know, that was, that was, I had an experience recently at an Amazon Go store where you know, I thought again, like why this, you know, okay, so I'm going into the store, I'm going to put everything into my bag and my cart, and then I'm just going to walk out. And that's enabled by a lot of sophisticated technology. But when you're shopping, um, you just don't, it's, it's not apparent. It's just kind of like, it's just, it's just ambient. And that's what makes it great is when you don't have to think about how to use the technology, the technology just makes what you do every day easier. Uh, and I think that's when technology works the best. And I think we're seeing more and more features like that coming. Yeah. Uh, from your perspective within the Alexa Trust organization, what is the one thing that you find uh, frustrating about your work? What is the one thing you would like to see fixed, uh, you know, just so it doesn't keep you up at night, if it does? Uh, well, I think the one thing overall, it's, uh, I wouldn't call it frustration necessarily, but, you know, it sometimes discovery is challenging. So we have a tremendous number of amazing privacy features. And once a year uh, during International Data Privacy Day, which happens every January 28th is the, is the day, put mark it on your calendar. We send a notice out to our customers to say things like, hey, we have all these new privacy features. We want you to use them. Go check them out. Go check your privacy features. Uh, review your recordings. Delete what you like. Change your settings. They're there for you to, to use. Um, and I, I would encourage people to, to access them and check, look, look at them over because I believe that in seeing those options and understanding how data is used, 
that's where I think customers will, that's where the trust is built. So I really want them to use the features that we build. In some ways, it's almost, if, if no one uses it and you've built it, it's almost, it's, well, they know it's there. And I suppose maybe that's a, maybe that's a sign as well that they, they're perfectly happy with what we've, what we've provided to them. But I want them to use the privacy features. And I like using these opportunities to say to people, you know, check it out, go say, Alexa, delete everything I've ever said, see how that works or delete what I said today. Uh, go into your controls, look around, uh, kick the tires on them. I think that's that's what I wish customers would do more of, actually. Yeah, I guess it's just a question of awareness and constantly uh, making them, uh, reminding them of the fact that it's there, right? all those features. It's all there. Yeah, it is. Great. I'm also going to give you a chance to sort of come, well, compare uh, working for Yahoo, Google, and Slack before with working at Amazon. Of course, these were different periods of time, I realized quite well. Uh, but is there any notable difference that you see uh, working for Amazon that, that attracted you to the role in the first place? Well, the culture of all these of all those organizations is distinctly different, and and that is the thing that is the most uh, the most interesting about having worked at all these different companies. What I've been really completely astonished and impressed by at Amazon is is the 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 way in which the leadership principles are really embedded in the way everybody works. And at some companies, values and sort of your, you know, there are your principles are kind of written on a wall somewhere and then never, ever in, invoked at any in any way, shape or form. But there hasn't been a single meeting that I've been at at Amazon in my almost, you know, going on two years where the conversation doesn't talk about customer obsession and working backwards from the customer's needs. Constantly, people are asking, how is this going to make the customer's life better? Why is this feature or this proposal good for the customer? Um, and sometimes people can disagree about what is good for the customer, but everyone, everyone is thinking about it in the course of every conversation that I've been part of, which I don't think that you see that kind of, uh, that kind of reinforcement on such a regular basis. And I, I certainly didn't see it in some of my past work experiences as I've seen it here. Um, but it's, you know, it's a legitimate, obsession <laughs> in terms of thinking about how to make customers' lives better. Um, so it's it's not just a platitude. It's it's a genuine thing here. And, and I think that to me, as someone who went through the interview process not that long ago, um, you know, the, the company brings that through the interview process and all through every single mechanism that we have within the organization in terms of how we, we work with employees. So I think that's kind of a, a unique aspect of this organization's culture. Yeah, I said I take your word for it, but I've heard many, many times before people work at Amazon. So uh, yeah, it's good that it resonates with you as well. Um, I'm going to end it here. I think this is really interesting. Uh, thank you for shedding uh, a lot of light on the Alexa Trust organization uh, and also what to expect uh, in the future from the Alexa and Echo teams. Um, anything else you want to say before we conclude? Um, I just want to reinforce what I told you earlier about you know the future is going to be ambient, and I think that's why trust is so important in building that with customers so that when that future arrives, we'll be able to really take advantage of what it means because we will have already developed and, and reinforced what it means to be trustworthy with our customers. So I just want to leave with that note and thank you very much for having me. Great. Well, thank you for sharing your insights and uh, spending your time with us. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. If you like our show, follow us today wherever you listen to podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Please send them to podcast at tech.eu and they will most certainly be ignored. <laughs>